So the last couple months, um, when I've been um, spending time with the Lord, uh, I have been stuck in the book of Matthew. So this has happened to me a couple times where I get stuck in one book and I'm there for a while. Uh, it's, it's never happened to me with Matthew before. I think because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but we, I kind of breeze through the Gospels like, well, these are the stories I know really well. And so you just read it through and you go, yeah, that was really cool. And you keep going. And, uh, but at the beginning of August, I felt like the Lord said, hey, I want you to just start again in Matthew. And I was like, okay. And I was getting stuck like every other verse to where, you know, when you could push past it, but you know, the Lord is stopping you. And he's saying, hey, there's something for you here if you'll look for it. And so it's been two months of that. And it's, it's actually been really wonderful. I'm really enjoying um, being in Matthew or being stuck there. And uh, I've really only gotten to chapter 15 so far in two months. Like, I just can't seem to. And then every once in a while, I'm like, I mean, I was really excited when I passed 10, you know, chapter 10. I was like, I'm in the double digits. And then the Lord's like, let's go back to seven for a minute. And I was like, okay, we'll just go back. It's all right. Um, So when I was thinking about uh, what to speak on this morning and thinking, now, what could be as fun as speaking on Halloween two weeks ago? I... I, I was like, Lord, what do, what, do, what do you want me to speak on? And he said, well, why don't you just talk about some of the things you've been seeing in Matthew? And when I started putting it together, uh, I, uh, I haven't gotten anywhere near chapter 15. We're going to stop around chapter 4. But I just wanted to share a few things that are connected but might seem random to begin with uh, that I've been observing in the book of Matthew and that the Lord has been talking to my heart about. Does that make sense? Okay, so... Um, excellent. I also want you to know that I did a big girl thing last week and I bought real glasses. Thank you. Thank you. I avoided it for years and now here we are. Um, so the, we're actually going to start in Matthew two, uh, Matthew two verses one and two. NASB. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The first thing that the Lord spoke to me about was, it's hungry people that get to see the kingdom first. And I sort of, like, I got stuck there for a couple days, if I'm honest with you. Now, this isn't necessarily new information to me, but the pondering of my heart was, am I still hungry? Because I think, like, we go through seasons, don't we? And I remember, like, when I first got saved, uh, really, my whole life was just about survival. I wouldn't have said I was hungry. I was all of a sudden not going to hell, and then I was trying not to swear as much, and I wore a skirt. I mean, that was pretty much the sum up of the transformation, you know? And then I came to a Holy Spirit-led church and started uh, getting some healing. And as I was getting healing, that's when I started getting hungry, right? Because all of a sudden I realized there was so much more than just survival. Um, and I, but I've also recognized that I've had seasons where because of the busyness of life or whatever the thing is, it, it, it kind of evens out a bit or you plateau. It's kind of like like trying to lose weight. 
right? You, you, you sort of lose and you're doing, I'm doing great, I'm doing great. And then you plateau for a while and then, you, you know. Um, so I realized, oh, I hit plateaus. But sometimes I realize busyness starts the plateau and I let it keep going. You know what I mean? And um, I would say I had seasons like that last year where I, w- I felt like I was running so hard that I lost track of where the Lord was in the midst of it. Um, Proverbs 16, verse 26 says, A worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. And I was like, wow, Lord, like we actually need to steward our appetite really well because it's what keeps us hungry, right? If we think that that part isn't important, we'll find later on that our hunger has completely dissipated. And then we wonder, how did I get here, right? Um, Jeremiah 29 verse 12 says, hang on, let me tell you what it says. Ah, uh, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The Lord is really wanting all of us, not just part of us. Right? It's, it's like it, he's an all or nothing God and he's all in. And he wants all of us, which is amazing. So these are the questions that it made me start thinking about. Am I really actually, am I right now laid back in my pursuit of you? Am I sort of banking on you're pursuing me so I'm not pursuing you back? If you think about that in relationship, like in a marriage or when you're dating, if only one is pursuing, that's not a healthy thing. And God is all in in his pursuit of us. But I've realized I've had seasons where I'm like, I'm banking on, I know I'm loved. I know he's for me. And so I kind of sit back rather than out of knowing that I'm loved and that he's for me pushing ahead. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so I want to do something. Now, emanators are used to me and school students are used to me. But here's the thing. You could come here and I could talk at you all morning. Or I can try and get you connected to the Father so you're still having a conversation during the week. So I actually have a couple questions that I want you to ask the Lord this morning. Um, just just going to take a few minutes each question, but here's the first one. What does hungering after you look like for me in this season, and how do I feed it? So how we ask the Lord a question is we literally just still our hearts. We ask the question, we listen for the still small voice. And then if you have paper, you can write it down. If you have your phone, this is one of those times it's legal in church to pull out your phone, open your notes app. And just write down what you hear. I had the, um, the fun opportunity this weekend to celebrate a friend's 40th birthday, uh, but she lives in Toronto. And so I flew up Friday, flew back yesterday, um, which was super fun. But as I was, I was uh, in the car with some friends of mine, and he has you know, a doctorate of theology and whatever, and I was talking to him about... Uh, this first point that I was going to make. And he said, wow, AJ, could, what are some helpful hints that you, should, you could give me on how to practically do this? And I was like, I'm glad you asked. So here's some helpful hints for you, just on the whole thing of building hunger. 
if I used to do a lot of fasting, now I say that I didn't really fast for the right reasons. I was more hunger striking, if I'm honest. I was, I was not eating until God would tell me something. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever done that? Right? You're like, I'm not going to eat until you tell me something. It never worked out well. But um, I, I did do a whole bunch of research on like metabolisms and stuff like that. Because if you're going to fast, you need to know how to restart your metabolism. You're going to mess up your system. You know, you're going to mess up your body. And here's the thing. When you're fasting, you have to actually restart your metabolism by uh, carefully by what you eat. First, you start with live cultures and that kind of stuff. And you slowly build up to meat. Okay, Um, but you have to be super intentional about it. So I was thinking, like, if you think about that practically and then put it into the spiritual, one of the things we could start doing is just start eating again. Start making a habit of being in the word. And even if it's like, AJ, this is like eating dry granola for me. I I've lost the hunger for this. Start with like 15 minutes. Start with a little passage. Start in the Psalms. You know, start someplace that feels familiar and feels like life. Start in the Gospels and start to eat something. Because what happens is when we start to eat, everything starts to come online and we start to naturally become more hungry. Okay? Um, my, one of my biggest tips is this. Hang out with hungry people. Right? If you hang out with other people that are not eating, you're not going to be inspired to eat. How many of you know you can be on whatever wonderful diet plan you are on, but if you go to a party where everybody is eating amazing food all around you, all of a sudden you're like, well, one wouldn't hurt, you know, and before you know it, you've like sampled everything, right? Why? Because you were around hungry people that were eating. It works the same way in the spirit. Get around people that are hungry for the things of God, that are hungry for the word, that you see it in their lifestyle, not just in their talk. And then hang out with them because what it will do is it will stir in you a longing for what you feel coming off of them. And it will increase your hunger. And then this may seem like the dumbest thing ever, but keep eating. Because I think sometimes we get going and we get in a really good place and we're like, ha ha, I'm there. And then at that point we start to let it slip, right? Because we're like, you know, I'm, I'm good now. I'm, we're, we're good, right? No, you got to keep eating. Keep feeding yourself. I was chatting with Michelle this morning and she uh, had mentioned spiritual eating disorders. And I was like, yeah, I think we do have some sometimes, you know? And I was thinking about that and I thought, We're either sometimes spiritual anorexics, we're just not eating, right? Or we're spiritual bulimics. We actually are eating, but we aren't sitting in a revelation long enough for it to nourish us before we try and give it back, we try and give it away, right? And I don't think we want to be doing either of those things. I think we want to just sit with him and go, okay, God, even if Matthew is going to take me all year, I'm going to get it. You know? All right, let's keep going. Back to these. Okay. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. 
Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair, nice, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was yummy locusts and wild honey. So here's the first thing I want us to look at. His message, the first, very first word of John's message was repent. Now repent means think differently, reconsider, or turn from. Right? So again, that's not really a gray statement. That's a really black or white statement. Repent means, A, change your perspective. Ooh, a Canadian thing came out there, right there. Uh, change your perspective to something different. Look for what I'm telling you, right? And then he goes on to encourage us that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If something is at hand, it means it's near. It means it's reachable. It means it's within your grasp. So change your perspective because God's kingdom is here. Yeah? And then later on it says his, his declaration will be make ready the way of the Lord. Of course, the word way there, I looked it up. It means a path, a route. Do we say route or route here? I'm trying to remember what I say. Either one. It works, right? A route or route. Um, or a means. And my thought was, wow, one of the ways that actually we're making ready a way for the Lord is we're saying, God, we want to host your presence. We want to make a way for you to come. We want to make a space for you to come. And it's not about our plan. It's about your plan. Right? So I got really excited about that because I was like, yay, you know, we're, we're doing some steps. I um, shared briefly a couple of weeks ago when I was emceeing about something that happened in August. We were away on the leaders retreat for the school and um, it, was, it was great. I, I get lots of uh, me time on that retreat when I'm not teaching because they have to read all of this stuff, all the small group leaders. And so I was sitting out on this swinging bench thing. But all day long, for both Friday and Saturday, I kept feeling like uh, standing up on the porch, throwing my hands in the air and screaming, Maranatha! And I kept seeing it in my head. And I was like, and uh, like, uh, that's not really me. Like, I don't, I, you know, that, and, you know, there was cottages on both sides with people nicely having picnics with their children. And, you know, it's not that far away. And, and so I was like, but I was like distracted in my spirit by this visual and this word Maranatha. And I was like, okay, but I, uh, my internet wasn't working on my phone. And honestly, I couldn't remember what Maranatha meant. And so <laughs> I was sort of like, hmm. Um, so I think it was Saturday morning. I was sitting next to Sarah, and she, she's like, do you want me to look it up? Because her internet was working. And I was like, yeah. And, but then after she told me, I was like a mess, you know, just like. So Maranatha means a couple of things. It depends on, you know, tense, but it seems to mean all of them all at once. It means our Lord has come, our Lord is coming, and come our Lord. And I was like, wow, like what does it look like to live in expectation that he is not only coming, but he is here? How do we live differently knowing that we're living from a different place? And what do our lives need to look like to actually host him well, right? Right? 
So it messed me up a little bit. Um, I think just in even reading through Matthew, I've been so struck by the passion and the immediate obedience of those that chose to follow. And I was also really struck again by the ones that missed him, even though he was the one that they were looking for. And I'm like, Lord, like, we can sit back and go, well, I won't miss him because I'm looking for him. But the Pharisees thought the same thing, you know. So keep my heart soft that I can see you. Keep me from pride that I think I know what you're always doing, you know. And come, Lord. I thought it was interesting. I love the way the message um, renders some of these verses that I had from the previous slide. That... His message was simple. This is speaking of John the Baptist and austere. Like his desert surroundings, change your life. God's kingdom is here. And again, I just kept pondering, what does it look like for us to look for his arrival? I think, I think we should be cautious. Um, well, let's look at the next verse for a second. It says, John dressed in camel hair, a habit tied at the waist by a leather strap, and he lived on a diet of locusts and wild field honey. I am sure uh, that John the Baptist isn't what they were looking for. And we know Jesus isn't what they were looking for, right? And I think, like, the danger is sometimes as church people... uh, especially those of us who have been in the church for a while, we think we really have a grip on the kind of things that God does or the way that God will move. And, and we miss, actually, that the Lord might be wanting to do a new thing. And so I think I just wanted to caution our hearts this morning. Like, as we're sitting in a place of hunger and we're saying, God, stir it, Lord, we want to host you. Maranatha, Jesus, like, come, come, God. Let's not think we know what that's going to look like. Let's keep our hearts open for him to get to do what he wants to do. If you study church revival, he never comes the same way. It always looks a little bit different. And sadly, it's always the people that were part of the previous revival that miss him in the next one because they think they understand better. And I just think it would be great if we would open our hearts to hear differently from him so that we actually have eyes to see. So here's your next journaling question, because you were like, you you promised me, AJ, you promised me more than one. Well, here you go. I deliver. Let's journal about this for a second. Just ask the Lord, Jesus, what is one thing I can be doing to get ready? And you may want to ask him, how do you do it? Whatever that one thing is. Okay, God, how do I do that? Well, Matthew's not going to let up. We're going to keep going. Uh, I'm actually going to start reading at verse 7. It says, When John realized that a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees were showing up for a baptismal experience because it was becoming the popular thing to do, he exploded. Brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to make any difference? (laughs) Wow. Wow. Um, it's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being a descendant of Abraham is neither here nor there. Descendants of Abraham are a dime a dozen. What counts is your life. 
Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. I thought it was interesting because I think what, what he's pointing to right here is, is kind of like pedigree doesn't actually matter anymore. If you're, if you're not sure about that, read Romans. You know, there's, there's, you have a, a, a people that were banking on the previous generations, and he's basically saying the equivalent for us today is your parents' relationship guarantees you nothing. Right? Now, they're opening blessing over you, but you still have a life to live in him. Your grandparents, you know, revelation in their relationship with the Lord, it doesn't guarantee you anything. It's not about that anymore. It's about you and I and how we daily are living in relationship with him. Starting at verse 11. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. Yes, God. The real action comes next. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand. He will ignite the kingdom life within you, uh, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God and everything false he'll put out with the trash to be burned. Okay. All right. Again, you know, not a lot of gray area. Um, it's funny. I was when I was reading this, I was thinking about Alan and I and the kids. We love to camp. In fact, we're going camping this week. Can't wait. I'm already thinking about what food I'm going to make. I know it's a thing. Um, but the best part of camping is what? The fire, right? As long as you got to have a fire, you camped. You know what I'm saying? And you come back, and everything smells like fire. And yes, of course, you wash it, but fire. Fire's the deal, right? But we don't actually just show up with a match and expect a fire. We have to actually do the work to gather and prepare that which needs to be burned. Yeah? So we have a promise that Jesus wants to come and ignite us. But I think sometimes we hang on to the things that he wants to burn. Um. I'm just going to read you what I wrote because this was from my, some of my ponderings. It seems this kingdom life is something we sign up for, not once, but over and over again with our little yeses and our big yeses. We sign up for kingdom life, and then we hand it over for ignition. In, uh, in this, the Holy Spirit begins the transformation. He lights a fire so that we want to change, and we let him sweep out our lives and put everything in place. I... Again, I'm, I'm excited because as I look around, I see so many people that are just going for it and getting our lives ready to host something that we don't know what it looks like, but we want to be there. We want to be ready. And isn't it exciting to be part of a group of believers that are living like that? Um, Amos 3 verse 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. Guys, I have lost track of the amount of prophetic words that we have about God doing something here. And honestly, I think it's already started. I'm just saying. I really do. I think it's already started. And I think we're sort of on the up ramp into whatever it is that he's about to do. But I know it's going to have something about pruning and ignition. And I, I think my challenge is uh, letting him be the God of the process as well. 
right? Uh, When he asks for something to go in the burn pile, letting him take it. Knowing that, hey, when God takes something from us, it's because he has an upgrade for us, right? And it's only poverty thinking that stops us from giving him this measly little thing when he wants to give us something so much better, right? But usually we can't see it. This I can hang on to. This I haven't seen yet, right? So that's where the faith and trust comes in. So another question for us to journal about for a moment. How about this one? Jesus, is there anything that you are asking for because it's best for me that I'm afraid to give because of its perceived value to me? Continuing in Matthew 3. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, said, sorry, Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him, and after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, here was my first thing that I got stuck in. Right? Verse 14, when John tries to prevent him, saying, But I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Are you ever slightly encouraged that even John the Baptist tried to advise God on the right way to do things? Like, hey, um, God, I think this could be done in a different order. I'm, like, really clever here. And so I'd just like to point out that, um, you know, there's, there could be a better way to do this. And, and uh, I've really thought it through. And here is my thought. We are part of an upside-down kingdom, right? There is no promise that you will always understand what God is doing in your life or the order that he is doing it in. There's only a promise that he will never forsake you in the midst of it. Sometimes I wonder if the reason that things seem to be moving slowly at times for us is because we are trying to advise him instead of obey him. If we skip down to uh, verse 16... After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Even with all this talk of kingdom living and transformation, it's still him that does the transforming, and it's us who does the obeying. You can't fix you. He fixes you by you obeying him. Does that make sense? Yeah? If you remember at this point in Jesus' life, he hadn't performed any miracles. So a voice out of heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he's done nothing that we can point to that would say, well, yes, of course he's pleased because he's healed all these people or he's done all these miracles. or He's multiplied bread. None of it's happened yet. Right? So what is God pleased with? 
I think that he is pleased with a life of, about obedience and humility and growth and community and hearing from the Father and knowing his calling, and then also a whole lot of waiting and trusting. If you think about the fact that Jesus knew what was coming, he knew all the great stuff, he knew all the hard stuff, but there was a long season of 30 years of waiting and trusting. And again, we tend to want everything instantly, which I get, I do too. God is well pleased with him. I think this is our last journaling question, but I can't really remember. But I know you want to ask it. So, Father, is there any place where I am negotiating or putting the cart before the horse in order to help you bring about my destiny? All right, we made it to Matthew 4. (laughs) Matthew 4, verse 1. I'm just going to read you this passage. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. I want you to notice that every time Jesus answers with, it is written. Right? It is written. Here's my side thought. Going back to the very first point. Guys, if we don't know the word of God, we are up a creek without a paddle. Right? Even Jesus, in rebuking the devil, quoted scripture and said, it is written. Right? It serves us well to know his word. But I want you to know a few things that I was sort of contemplating as I was going through this passage. I was thinking, oh, enemy, you know what? You use the same tricks over and over again. And unfortunately, people fall for them. And I noticed two that I wanted to bring out this morning. One, the first thing he says is, if you are the son of God, command that these stones, right? And he goes that way. Well, here's the thing. The very, right before this happens, what had happened? The sky had opened and the Lord had said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When the enemy comes back and talks to Jesus, what doesn't he center on? The relationship part, the beloved. He takes that out. If you're the son of God, you know, you just out there by yourself, not in relationship with the father, then do this thing. The enemy always tries to separate us from our knowledge of how loved we are 
and the relationship that we actually have with God. Okay? So the enemy's plan is always to question what God said, sow doubt, and sever relationship. The second thing I wanted to point out to you is from this verse, a little further on when it says, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And again, tricky, sneaky, he's still doing it, but the enemy offers what is already yours and makes it seem like it's his to give you. He can't give you your destiny. God's already given you your destiny. He can't give you anything that God hasn't already prepared for you. But he likes to convince us that he can. Okay? It's just a thought. All right, now enough about him. Yeah, that was, that was my little uh, side note. There we go. Okay, last little bit that we're going to look at today. Uh, walking along the beach of Lake Galilee, which, again, this, I think, is the message. Uh, but it is actually a lake. I went and saw it. It's not a sea. I just want to tell you. It, it's, it's a lake. And it's a little lake. Okay, that's, that's my only thought about that. Um, sorry, I was just thinking of something. Okay, this is probably really sacrilegious. But when, when we were there, we were out on the lake, and Alan was like, I can't see this kicking up a big storm. It's such a little lake. So we're like, you know, if Jesus had watched the, walked the length of the lake, that would have been really impressive. But if it's just the width, I mean, that's not that wide, you know. And so we, we had a good laugh about it and then uh, <laughs> repented. So uh, <laughs> walking, the, some of you are like, wow, okay. Uh, walking along the beach of Lake Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, later called Peter, and Andrew. And they were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake. It was their regular work. And Jesus said to them, come with me to make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions, but simply dropped their nets and followed. A short distance down the beach, they came upon another pair of brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Sorry, I have it in the translation in my head that I'm reading. Uh, Zebedee's sons. These two were sitting in, in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their fish nets. Jesus made the same offer to them, and they were just as quick to follow, abandoning boat and father. And I had a couple thoughts about this. One, I was super impressed by their immediate obedience. They are men in a profession who literally encounter a man who calls to them and they just drop everything and walk away, right? We usually have all of our reasons why we can't do this exact thing just now, God, because, right? And But the, the, the visual that we're given from this is what, what immediate obedience looks like. And my thought was this, Jesus must have felt like the truth. They probably wouldn't have done that for anybody else showing up on the side of the shore and just saying, hey, drop everything and follow me. They'd be like, sure, buddy. You know? But Jesus must have felt like the truth. He must have felt like the way. Right? John 14, verse 6, I am the truth, the way, and the life. He must have felt like that. And so they put all their stuff down and their plans down, 
And they've acquired a life that was now available to them that was never available before. And they immediately follow him. I think my desire for us, certainly my desire for me, because I can, I can do that, uh, is that I would encounter the truth of who he is every day and that that truth would be the thing that always leads me. That I wouldn't become complacent and that I wouldn't become, I don't know, stale. Because I think I know him well enough that I can breeze it. Right? I can have the conversations and I can sound spiritual. So it's good enough. I wonder if you would stand with me. And I, I want to sort of lead you through a prayer. Um, and I'm just, I'm not going to trick you in case you're worried. Uh, so we're going to just pray through some of the things that we've seen in these first couple chapters and just kind of give God our yes. Does that sound good? So we're signing up. Um, all right. So just repeat after me. Jesus, I give you my yes again this morning. I ask that you would increase my hunger and that you would put hungry people around me. I recognize that your kingdom is at hand and I want to partner with your transformation in my life, in Grace Center, in Franklin and Nashville and beyond. Make me a messenger of truth and hope. Make me a carrier of your presence. Holy Spirit, please get me ready. Make my life green and blossoming. Lord, if there are things that I am still holding on to, please show me and give me courage to give them to you. And Lord, if I've been trying to give you advice on how best to lead me, I'm sorry. I want your way. I want your best for my life. Wow. I commit to following you, to living from truth, and trusting you in the wonderful days ahead. Maranatha, Jesus. Come. I'm just going to pray for you for a second. Holy Spirit. Wow. Lord, thank you that you are here. That you are active. That you are living. That you are breathing in our lives. And Lord, for every single person in this room, God, I ask that you would fill them up. From the tips of their toes to the tops of their heads. Wow. Lord, that everything that is not of you, God, that you would wash it off of us or that you would show us that it's there so that we can have the conversation. Yeah. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful and you are good and you are transforming us even now with every tiny yes. Lord, make us people who give yeses quickly. Wow. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.